With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. Welcome, everyone. I'm Chris Clow, editor with HW Media and Reverse Mortgage Daily, filling in for Sarah Wheeler. Today on Housing Wire Daily, my guest is Logan Motoshami, who will go into data indicating to him that America seems to be rejecting the Fed's housing policy, as well as purchase application data and sales of new and existing homes. But first, here's a word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at HW Media, talking to Desmond Smith, Chief Growth Officer at UWM, about SafeCheck. Desmond, how does SafeCheck work? Hey, Sarah, how are you? So I would say first, you know, SafeCheck is allowing uh, LOs to give their bars peace of mind. So I'd start there. You know, trigger leads have become a very large issue, not just in the mortgage space, but in any time someone's getting any type of credit. So we created SafeCheck to help prevent kind of that um, aggravation and nuance of receiving, you know, tens, twenties, hundreds of calls that consumers receive. So what happens with SafeCheck is any LO who uses UWM, it's an exclusive product SafeCheck is to UWM, they would be able to either pull a single or tri-merge soft pool credit report. And while that credit report is being used to run AUS, they will have time to opt their consumer out of any solicitations, and then therefore they will not receive all of those annoying calls and annoying solicitations. And that is also a big benefit because the, the cost of the credit bureau is much cheaper by leveraging SafeCheck. So it really is a win um, for LOs, and it's obviously a win for consumers who they don't receive so many phone calls. Um, offering all different types of products and services. I can see how that could be a game changer. Thank you, Desmond. And listeners, you can find out more at uwm.com. Logan, thanks for joining me today on Housing Wire Daily. Appreciate you taking the time. It is wonderful to be here. And yes, I scared Sarah Wheeler out of the country because she doesn't want to debate me with the mortgage rate lockdown debate. And that debate's coming soon at Housing Wire Annual in Austin, Texas. And that's going to be a lot of fun. You know, if if that's true, then you're going to chew me up and spit me out. So, uh, you know, let's, let's pump the brakes for the newbie a little bit here. But uh uh, you told me earlier, we, we chatted briefly about how the theme for, for today is that America seems to be rejecting the Fed's housing policy. What can you tell me about that? So let's go back in time to uh, when the Federal Reserve and Jay Powell talked about, we need a housing reset. So when the Federal Reserve did say uh, we are going to have a housing reset, a lot of people uh, thought of that as well they really want home prices to crash or something to get back to maybe pre-COVID levels. I, I didn't interpret it that way, but uh, what I what I was looking forward is to seeing what would be their next statements going out for the next year. And one of the things that caught my eye uh, recently is when uh, President uh, Barkin of the Federal Reserve talked about, I didn't imagine higher rates would uh, prevent people from listing their homes. 
And when that's the case, that means that the Federal Reserve's internal discussions were mostly about, well, people are just going to list their homes and we'll have a buyer seller market and wherever, whatever happens to prices or anything, you know, uh, that's, you know, we're talking about the Fed reset. Well, what occurred is homeowners in America rejected the Federal Reserve. Um, mortgage rates went up so much so fast. And after home prices accelerated so much so fast that the total cost of housing uh, uh, has prevented a lot of people from moving. It's not just mortgage rates. But what we saw recently, or uh, starting from November of last year, when mortgage rates started to come down from 737 to 5.99%, you saw more buyer activity. And then the Federal Reserve got panicked. You know, Neil Kashkari came on TV and he said, wait a second, this is not good. 6% mortgage rates, people are, and I say this, and I'm I'm so honest when I say this, people buying homes, having sex, having kids is a problem for them because they have chosen to just ignore the housing market and they came out and panicked when mortgage rates were getting at 6%. That's why he said, our job is more difficult if this occurs. Well, home prices don't filter into the inflation data. Uh, it's rent inflation. The growth rate of rents are falling. So, you know, they told us to X shelter data out of the uh, tracking, you know, for the goals of the Federal Reserve on inflation. So they panicked. And then they're like, I don't understand why people won't list their homes. So the American public, us as a nation, to all the Fed presidents out there, because I know there are some Fed analysts that are listening, America says, you first. You go sell your house and see how it is. And so much of my work over the last decade has been on credit channels, inventory channels. Housing credit is good now because it's boring. Part of the COVID-19 recovery model that I wrote on April 7th, 2020, we're going to recover in 2020, was based on consumer balance sheets are good. The whole taking on the forbearance crash bros, you know, in September of 2020, that these people are going to blow up and all their things about forbearance would be wrong, was because consumer balance sheets are good. And here, mortgage rates escalated out of control. They didn't care, which is fine. That's that's their thing. But to come back and say, we don't understand why people won't list your homes, you are the Federal Reserve. You are not some 30-year-old YouTube TikToker you know, person talking about home prices crashing every uh, uh, hour for uh, 40%. You are the Federal Reserve understand what the marketplace is telling you and have a more more coherent talking point. Because the last, the latest greatest uh, hits for the Fed is that Neil Kashkari said, I'm surprised that higher rates didn't slam the brakes for housing. McFly, hello. What are you talking about? It was the biggest one-year sales crash in history. You do not have the luxury of being this off. You are a president of the Federal Reserve, Minneapolis. Come on. I can't defend your guys' statements when you sound this disconnected from the world. And today, purchase application data back to 1995 levels. We are below 21st century levels now. Okay, so uh, America's rejected this. Oh, home sales aren't crashing uh, I don't know why people aren't listening. Find a more coherent way to talk about this because we can stay here for a long time. Trust me, the American homeowner 
is much tougher than the Federal Reserve. And that 30-year fixed mortgage is going to outlast some of the Federal Reserve's lifespan. So uh, find a way to make sense of things and don't panic if mortgage rates go lower. That was the, you know, Sarah and I talked about this a lot, that when things get, you know, looser on the financial credit side, they seem to panic. Next time, if rates fall down, don't panic anymore. God, it just looks so soft, right? American homeowners just want to buy, sell homes. And right now, nobody wants to move. Why? Because the total cost of housing has gone up. And if you can't understand that, find somebody to teach you guys this. Because it's harder and harder for me to justify some of the Fed statements lately when they're so off from the real-time data. Uh, so the country as a whole, after mortgage rates got above 6%, I think my this is my assumption reading the Fed. They did not, they thought when mortgage rates would stabilize that people would go back to listing their homes as normal and everything. New listings data has been trending over 12 months, or I've been trending at the lowest levels ever recorded in history for over 12 months now. So that didn't work out. But don't come back to the American public and say, well, we, we were surprised that housing didn't crash. It did crash. It's cr- crashed on transactions. Why? Because people are just staying put. Sellers are buyers. This is how it normally works in a normal credit market. And the Fed's going to have to, at some point, address this in a more coherent way because there's no way I can defend some of their statements anymore. They look so amateur hour that that I have to join the Fed bashing crew with some of their statements because it, it is what it is. I mean, literally, purchase application data is the 1995 levels, okay? Um, I think Neil Kashkari was still in college back then, right? So we are we are dealing with some historical data. Understand how to talk about it so people can have more faith in your view of the economy. You know, it's, it's, it's funny that you bring that up. And I remember you talking in a previous discussion with Sarah sort of about the generational makeup of, of homeowners and home buyers. And one of the things that we often talk about on reverse mortgage daily is just the, uh, the, the trend of data when it comes to baby boomer, boomer homeowners. And, uh, ours is a population that is getting older. Um, how do you expect the the sort of great wealth transfer from baby boomers to their millennial children or or Gen Y or Gen Z children in some cases to affect uh, the the housing market going forward? Just considering the way that demographics are trending, you know, it's interesting. We always talk about uh, baby boomers and millennials. We rarely talk about Gen X as a front line, you know, because Gen X. It, the interesting part is Gen X as a percentage of buyers are the biggest buyers now in America, right? Gen X would technically be the first transfer of wealth from the baby boomers to them. Uh, uh, it wouldn't be the millennials in the sense now a Gen X parent can assist and facilitate uh, um, uh, a millennial home buyer or home owner uh, uh, if you know, so, you know, for example, my, my grandparents passed away. They left their house. Uh, our family sold it and the money was distributed out to the family members. And part of that uh, uh, money was uh, uh, helped to facilitate a purchase of a house for a millennial. So that can be a corresponding transfer of wealth from uh, um, someone that's uh, a baby boomer that's passed on and given to the millennial. But the uh, Gen Z 
right now as a percentage of buyers are the highest, only they're kind of in the middle. They're not as big as the millennials or the baby boomers. The baby boomers are so big that they have two different divisions for them. And just like the millennials, elder millennials and younger millennials. So if we want to sub, you know, subject them, younger millennials could benefit more uh, than uh, Gen Z, uh, uh, Gen X at this point. Gen Z is way too young still. So uh, I think once the home gets sold and the money's distributed, it depends on what the Gen Z family wants to do with it. Either they rent it out, live in it, or sell it, and then do whatever they want with the money. Um, there's so much nested equity in American households right now. Of course, 42% of homes don't have a mortgage. The loan-to-values are so uh, low just because we never had a mortgage credit boom. This is one of the things that has been a big talking point of mine that still I don't think gets a lot talked about. When you look at mortgage debt, you compare it to the boom that we had during the housing bubble years. We had none of that going. We're adjusting to inflation like mortgage debt isn't even at the peak of the housing bubble years. So there's going to be a lot of nested equity that's going to be presented or given off to Gen Z. And what they do with it is you know, uh, do they keep it for themselves or do they give it to the, uh, um, their millennial children or some say for the Gen uh, Z that's coming up there? That's, that's something that's going to take its course. And I think by the end of this decade, nature wins. No country has a Dorian Gray labor market. Everyone dies. The baby boomers are retiring. In about 10 years, more and more of them will die. Their houses can't go with their, uh, to the grave. And they will give their properties to their children. What their children do with it, though, is going to be the more interesting part. One of the one of the great housing myth lies over the last ten years was this thing called the silver tsunami, right? And the silver tsunami was that every baby boomer was going to downsize, and the first baby boomer hit sixty two in two thousand eight. So by twenty fifteen, here comes the mass downsizing of the baby boomers to millennials who couldn't buy their homes. So home prices had to crash by 40% just to offset each other. That didn't work, you know? Um, so uh, what we do know is death is part of economics. And at the end of this decade, we're going to have more transfer of wealth, you know? And right now, what what's what we're seeing is the inventory channels are not moving anything higher. Uh, um, so we're not at that stage yet, even with COVID, even with all the deaths we had there for our elderly people. Remember, it, it goes through a whole process, sometimes probate, everything. It takes it takes a very long time to sometimes uh, uh, deal with those issues. But it's coming. Uh, and more something at the end of the decade. And there's a lot of, there is a lot of wealth that's going to be transferred. So uh, that's going to be a a topic, quite not there yet with our demographics, but it's something that's coming. In terms of the rejection of uh, of Fed housing policy, I don't know if it was necessarily broken down in terms of of generation, but do you see or do you expect any difference in that sort of rejection between millennials, baby boomers? To me, it's it's the same. It's the same principle: home sellers or buyers. Majority of them. If you're selling your house because of a death or a divorce, job loss, something like that, that I, I'm not talking about that group because that's that's the forced seller of a home that doesn't that has no other option but majority of home sellers 75 to 82 percent of the time whether they be baby boomers millennials uh gen z they're not selling their homes as much and you don't you can't blame them because let's let's just assume covid never happened 
Even before COVID, mortgage rates were between three and a quarter to 5% for the longest economic and job expansion in history. So a lot of people had low housing costs. What, what occurred during COVID was this new phenomenon that I, I just don't think a lot of people have any experience with this because we haven't dealt with inflation as a country since the late 70s. A lot of people right now weren't even born. Don't even think you were alive in the late 70s, right? So um, it, not yet, no. So what occurred is when you have an inflationary push, your house, your 30-year mortgage actually is a hedge right against uh, inflation because your your debt cost stays the same but your wages grow up so much faster so uh, american homeowners are okay this is great but then when mortgage rates spiked up you know uh and the federal reserve is talking why won't people list their homes because america rejected you right america's not into you fed right they're saying what do you want, what do you want me to do my my total housing i'm sitting here i have a 2200 total housing cost payment and now you want me to move to get to over 5,700. Well, I can't qualify uh, participant number one, so I can't move because with new qualified mortgage laws, you do not list your house unless you know you can buy another one. So those people are gone. The other people are like, dude, you're raising the cost of living on all of us. Why? Because shelter costs, installment loans, car loans, credit card interest, all these things, the cost of living is going up. So the American homeowner is like, why would I want to stress myself out? So that, in a sense, can be a three-generational uh, fight against this uh, uh, policy. And again, the reason I say this is because when the Federal Reserve said they didn't understand why people won't list their homes, what do you think, dude? Come on. Pro- the cost of debt is rising, and there's only so much disposable income you have out there. So some people, the people that are buying homes, that are selling and buying their homes right now, they're good, right? You're, there's no struggling household here. Uh, but the rest are like, hey, we're we're in a really good spot. We are going to protect our family against Jay Powell, against Neil Kashkari, against President Waller, Logan, and everyone, right? So don't don't hold it against the American homeowner that's saying, no, we're not. Uh, uh, understand this, and whenever, let's just assume, whenever mortgage rates fall just to six percent, you'll get some more activity because sellers are buyers. But understand that concept that. They're not into you. They're not into you for reason. So don't make a public statement about why won't people list their homes if you don't understand the total cost of living really revolves around debt costs, right? Oil prices go up and down, egg prices go up and down, whatever, but your installment loans or your mortgage payment car loans, those things matter the most. And uh, with student loan payments about to come into vogue, right? That's less disposable income into the economy. So uh, wake up, Fed. Wake up to the reality and adjust something, but don't say the same things for the past three or four months. Come on. When when she's just not that into you, that can be a tough fact. To yes, follow, yes, right? absolutely, absolutely. Well, uh, I understand you also wanted to dive into uh, new and existing home sales data. What can you tell me about that? Yes, you you want to talk about a divergent marketplace. Existing home sales down year over year still, near 21st century lows. Uh, we haven't broken under 4 million. 4 million was the low point of uh, uh, of the year. And again, 4 million means a lot to my work. Over the years, I've always said that it's really rare in America to get under 4 million existing home sales after 1996. It, it authentically happened like in the worst credit market months of 2008 when credit was freezing and home sales went, you know, like a 3.77. Last year, when I talked about on November, I said, you know, the housing market can set up for a bottom here 
Uh, um, you know, it looks like we're heading down to 4 million. Oddly enough, the COVID-19 lows and the 2023 kind of lows were 4 million each. So they kind of bounced off to that level. Nice. But here, existing home sales bars are trending lower again. And as mortgage rates rise, purchase application data gets weaker, right? The existing home uh, seller, sellers or buyers, new listings data. So the demand goes down. Inventory doesn't rise, but the demand can break under 4 million again. New home sales market, different, right? Efficient sellers. That's what I call them. They sell their homes as a commodity. They're not a homeowner. Where am I going to move to? Where are nothing? They build a house. They, they, have a, they have a profit margin they can work with, and then they sell it and they move on to the next one. There's no emotional ties here. But the builders can live in a sub-6% mortgage world when they need to, right? The question is, with mortgage rates heading higher, can they keep on doing that? But in a sub-6% mortgage world, new home sales are growing year over year, right? Uh, it's a smaller marketplace. It's, it's more predicated to older, wealthier home buyers, but they're growing when the existing home sales market is still uh, uh, falling on a year-over-year basis. So the comps are really easy now because last year at this time, toward the end of the year, uh, a year uh, home sales were crashing. So we're going to see some really good year-over-year growth numbers from new home sales. The year-over-year declines for existings are going to get less and less. That's just because of comps. But two different marketplaces, the builders are taking advantage. Why? We have over 156 million people working, 335 million Americans in total, and people need shelter. Uh, and they provide a brand new, beautiful homes with all the bells and whistles. And they're saying, hey, everyone, we got 75,000 new homes for sale. We'll bring mortgage rates down if we need to. So come on over. And everyone else says, hey, that looks good. you know. So two different marketplaces and the builders, for the first time in a long time, have an advantage. They didn't have an advantage in the previous cycle. Previous cycle was the weakest new home sales recovery ever. They missed sales estimates in 2013, 14, 15, and had a big miss in 2018 because the total active supply of existing homes, which are always cheaper, was just so much, uh, their competition was uh, 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 less. Now, total active listings are near or were all at all-time lows. The builders are taking advantage of that. Very savvy. The only The only concern I have right now for them is that for the first time in many months, their builder's confidence looking out six months has fallen back to back. So that's something we have to keep an eye on. But when we have the new home sales report, that's today, and uh, the existing home sales report as of uh, yesterday, you could see two, two divergent marketplace. One knows how to sell a product. One's dealing with a lot of human uh, involvement into it and you know the seller-buyer mentality of the existing home sales marketplace. Sure. You know, this is kind of anecdotal, but I'd love to get your perspective on it because I live in the Seattle area. Uh, Not a great pricing environment for people looking for even a first time home. But I see just out my window, literally out my window and driving around my local community, multifamily construction is rampant. Uh, They're building apartments hand over fist, but it doesn't seem like prices have stabilized very much. How much multifamily construction does there need to be before it could have an impact on new home prices? A lot of multifamily construction or units under construction are apartments. And the thing with apartments, apartments aren't really predicated for families. They're really predicated for single people. So you don't necessarily lose a home buyer to an apartment. You could have a you know, a young family living in an apartment and just the the growth rate of rents falling down, 
uh, and that'll impact the builders. I, I don't even know if they're going to finish that. We have like 1 million apartments under construction. I don't think that that'll be finished. Uh, the growth rate of rents are falling and uh, people are going to start losing money, some of them. So they're not going to even finish those projects. But if it was single family uh, rent deflation, that is a more, uh, that'll be a, 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 a better comparison of uh, uh, what a family would like to ch- choose between a rent here or a home there. Home buyers are just in a different phase of their life than renters a, a lot of times. One third of the population will be lifelong renters. So it doesn't really um, predicate to them. So my thing for over the years is kind of the same premise. People rent, they date, they mate, they get married three and a half years after marriage, especially in a dual household income. They traditionally buy homes if they're part of that you know, middle class or upper middle class uh, because they, they need a bigger space. So apartments coming to the market will help single people, right? Or young families that you know, maybe just have one kid. But there comes a point to where if you, especially if you have a dual household, you buy a house. And that's traditionally been the case you know, with the baby boomers when they were young in the 70s, Gen X got completely destroyed during the housing crisis. But the millennials, millennials were the biggest home buyers for many years. Uh, um, you know, they just buy a little bit later in life. You know, the average uh, median age to get married now is 28, 29. Uh, uh, and usually three and a half years after that, you have kids. They, you know, the median age home buyer is like 33, 34 now. So uh, first time home buyer. So they just do it a little bit later and they bought, except when mortgage rates skyrocketed. Uh, 90% plus of younger people finance their homes. The baby boomers, not so much, or even the silent generation. So the baby boomers actually surpassed the millennials uh, just because uh, they don't, you know, they have so much nested equity. God, if you bring 70% down for a down payment, you, whatever mortgage rates are, it's it's not going to be that much of an issue, but for the, for younger Americans uh, it, it, it is. So single family rental units, in that sense, will be an option for them. Not so much of apartments. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge believer. Supply is the best way to deal with inflation. Build as many apartments as you possibly can. But I also understand the limits of people that build apartments are here to make money. So it depends on the cost. And what is the one thing you know that could destroy construction? You know, when construction loans were four or five percent, that's one thing. But when construction loans are 12, 14 percent, people are like, whoa, 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 okay, this doesn't work anymore. Right. So destroying demand or trying to destroy inflation by destroying demand is a short term fix. The problem becomes if that continues for a longer time, that eventually hits into the future supply. So uh, I am just hoping we finish as many apartments as we possibly can because. The growth rate of inflation falling is good for everyone. Uh, and so much of the 1970s, you know, people are fascinated by the 1970s. Well, rent inflation was taking off double digits. It got even as high as 20% toward the end. Uh, we don't have that issue now. The growth rates of rents are falling. And now we have all this supply. So that is a huge positive uh, for the United States. And hopefully we finish those things. God, I get the, you know, the Marines, the Army, everyone, get in there and finish those homes, you know, get them out. Because the unfortunate reality of housing in America is housing productivity stinks, right? 60 years ago, we were building homes with a hammer and nails, and we're still doing the same things, right? So the productivity here of getting stuff done is not as, as fast as other industries. So uh, we're just not getting much traction yet on those homes. And I, 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 I truly believe this. I don't think we finish 
those uh, million uh, apartments under construction. So whatever we can finish, positive, but it's also getting to the point where the cost of debt is so much. Federal Reserve, the cost of debt is so much that now you know you you see some projects being pulled back because it doesn't make financial sense to them. Sure. Yeah. Geez. Imagine the army scrambling the Corps of Engineers just to build houses in the U.S. That would be quite a story if yes. that ever happened. <laughs> but, uh, well, uh, unfortunately, we run out of time. I really appreciate the chance to connect with you. Um, I, I always enjoy listening to what you have to say. So thank you very much, Logan, for taking the time. Thank you. And let's show. hope for the st- Hollywood strike to end so they could finish filming Wolverine and Deadpool. Yes, absolutely. Wolverine, Deadpool, Star Trek, all of that stuff. Yes, and, I, and just a, just a quick story. My name Logan literally came from Wolverine. So when uh, uh, in 1999 I became an American citizen, and they literally said, "Do you want to change your name?" I didn't know you could even do that. I said, "Yes, call me Logan." And then they then they ask you, "Why do you want your name to be Logan?" And I have to write it down in this government uh, data. I just said Wolverine. That's it. That's awesome. Hey, in the comics, Logan always says, I'm the best there is at what I do, and you are that. So much appreciated, sir. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.